Welcome back to Following No Anon Stormlight Podcast. This week is episode 127, and we are doing interludes between part four and part five, and the first two chapters of the final part of Rhythm of War. And I promise we'll finally talk about the epigraphs of part four. We'll start with that. Paul, how are you? Amazing. Um, my two cents update is I'm excited to talk about interludes, excited to talk about f- part five. Um, and also just for our, our viewers or listeners who are, are invested in this, I am almost done with the Hero of Ages now on our Mistborn series. We won't talk about it here right now, of course, uh, but just wanted to give an update. I'm I'm about eight chapters away from the end and loving it. So excited uh, about that. But wanted to give everyone a little a little update. I'm doing great. I always enjoy a good interludes, although I was commenting in our Discord actually this week that I've been a little disappointed by the interludes in Rhythm of War, like the entire book. I feel like almost all of them could just have slotted in as normal chapters, right? Yes, we we get a few new point of views, but we don't really leave any of the sets that we've been on. It's all very much in line with our story, which I was a little sad about. There were still some really good ones, and I enjoyed them, but I'm kind of missing the... 180 pivot here's a random corner of rashar you've never seen before with a random story that you have no idea how this ties in good luck guessing like i kind of had fun with those right and we haven't seen one of those in a while i liked that too i understand that it has to be more practical now because we're starting to tie up ends yeah but yeah your comment your, your comment sparked a conversation in a spoiler channel that you're not allowed to see yet but you soon will be able to see that uh-huh. uh, those interludes that you're talking about, the Wave Kings, Words of Radiance, is where you really get them. The Oathbringer, by Oathbringer, your interludes kind like you can understand why you're getting this information. It's still in random X corner of Roshar, but you still understand why I'm getting this information at this time. But in the Wave Kings and Words of Radiance, you're gifted random information that the reader is really just the first time reader specifically is really just trying to figure out what on earth is going on and by the by the time rhythm of war comes around you don't really need that many like here's a random example of a magic system i haven't even explained yet like that's what that's a lot a lot of what interludes are is here is a scene of a magic system at work that we're not going to talk about quite yet real benefit of a lot of the interludes, or here's a character that we haven't met yet, but we will later. We've pretty much met, I would assume, 90% of our characters that we're going to have before the end of Stormlight 5, so that type of interlude is kind of not necessary at my point, is my point, but I completely agree with you. Those types of interludes are very fun, and they are not present in Rhythm of War. All right, do you guys have two words to summarize the episode, Elliot? Sure do. Two words for this time around are awkward inspiration. All right, and Paul? My two words are direction, rejection. (laughs) Some fun, some fun words. Let's use them and talk about the beginning of part five of Rhythm of War.
All right. Even before I ask you about your two words, because I assume they don't have to do with this. Let's talk about the epigraphs and closing part four. We have been asked to cover this and you guys have been noticing them. Do you guys back in part four, do you, did you piece together by the end of it who they were and, or who who wrote them? I should say. I was, I was frustrated because I got to the last one and it was one of those where I felt like I should have pieced that together, but I didn't really. It, it ended up talking about the unmade. Huh? It seemed at the, the first person point of view, the I references, I, this, I think this seemed to be coming from a similar perspective. Okay. It almost seemed like we were talking about like, the sibling or something like that, perhaps. I okay. I don't know. I couldn't put it. I could not pin it down. Paul, did you pick up who it was? Did you pay but that much attention? Um, no, I I didn't really catch it. Okay, Let- I think Shaw. Real quick before you reveal, it, I think Shaw uh-huh. not would have been my other guess, like sibling yeah. or, or Shaw not perhaps. I I, I, I won't it was- reveal it. I'll read. I want to read them all and then I'll I'll ask you again if you can hear them okay. all back to back if you can have another guess. You guys ready? Yeah. Mhm. Ready. All right, let me scroll to the top. All right. Part 4. All right, here's the first one and I'll just keep going. Words. I used to be good with words. I used to be good at a lot of things. There was a time when others would approach me for help with a problem, a time when I was decisive, capable, even authoritative. Such skills, like my honor itself, are now lost to time, weathered away, crushed to dust, and scattered to the ends of the Cosmere. I am a barren tree of a human being. I am the hollow that once was a mighty peak. So, words. Why words now? Why do I write? Yezrian is gone. Despite being all the way out here in lasting integrity, I felt him being ripped away. The oath pact was broken already, but the connection remained. Each of us can sense the others to an extent. And with further investigation, I know the truth of what had happened to him. It felt like death at first, and I think that is ultimately what became. The singers first put Yezrian into a gemstone. They think they are clever, discovering they can trap us in those. It only took them 7,000 years. Oh, father, 7,000 years. I remember so few of those centuries. I am a blur, a smear on the page, a gaunt stretch of ink, made all the more unsubstantial with each passing day. Midias once told me, told me we could use investiture to enhance our minds, our memories, so he wouldn't forget so much. Why would I want to remember? Maybe if I remembered my life, I'd be capable of being confident like I once was. Maybe I'd stop vacillating when even the most simple of decisions is presented to me. Instead, I think if I were to remember my life in detail, I would become even worse, paralyzed by my terrible actions. I should not like to remember all those I have failed. Regardless, I write now because I know they are coming for me. They got Jezrian. 
they'll inevitably, be, inevitably claim me, even here in the Honor Spren stronghold. And so, I die. Yes, die. If you're reading this and wondering what, what, what went wrong, why my soul evaporated soon after being claimed by the gemstone in your knife, then I name you idiot for playing with powers you only presume to understand. The bond is what keeps us alive. You sever that, and we will slowly decompose into ordinary souls, and with no valid connection to the physical or spiritual realms. Capture one of us in your knives, and you won't be left with a spread in a jar. You'll be left with a being that eventually fades away into the beyond. I felt it happen to Yezrian. I think you captured him, but our goddess splintered, our oath pact severed. He favored, he faded over the weeks and is gone now. Beyond your touch at long last, I should welcome the same. I do not. I fear it. Nevertheless, I'm writing answers to you here, because something glimmers deep within me, a fragment of a memory of what I once was. I was there when Ba Edo Mishram was captured. I know the truth of the Radiance, the Recreance, and the Nahel Spren. I tell you, I write it, you must release the captive unmade. She will not fade as I will. If you leave her as she is, she will remain imprisoned for eternity. As one who has suffered for so many centuries, as one whom is broke, please find Mishram and release her, not just for her own good, for the good of all Spren. For I believe that in confining her, we have caused a greater wound to Roshar than anyone ever realized. All right, who is it? I forgot about the references to lasting integrity, which seemed to point pretty strongly towards it being Kalak as the author there. Yeah. So that's what I was thinking. At first, I thought maybe it could be Ishar, our Bondsmith person, because I mm -hmm. would imagine that he might be well-spoken or wise. But I would I would guess Kalak. And those two. I would even go as far to say when he's writing for 20 minutes in the middle of the trial, this is what huh. he's writing. Like, in front of Adolin, he assumes that Adolin is there to kill him. He says that to Shalon, that, oh, you're the one sent to kill me. I thought it was Adolin. I assume that Kalak thinks this could happen literally at any second, because Adolin's right in front of him. And so he's writing all of this mid-trial because he's afraid that he's about to die. So, what do you guys what do you guys think besides Kalak is is the one writing. He seems to have quite a bit of insider knowledge on, or he claims to have insider knowledge on the Radiance, the Recreance, and the Nahel Spren, and Ba Edo Mishram. So that's, this is, I have a couple things. One, I, my, I think what got me the most intrigued was he mentions that people think, like, if you think you have a spread in a jar, essentially, with these knives, with this knife, you don't even understand the the power you're using. Right. You, know, you, don't, you don't get it. So, that implies he understands it. And I would like him to explain it further to me, please. Uh, <laughs> uh, that, was, that was one thing that really caught my attention. Um, and, and also that, like, he says he knows the truth about... The recreants and, and everything there was that what they said? Like he I did. know that he knows the truth. So I'm wondering. There's probably more pieces to that that we don't know. We don't understand. And and I wouldn't. I would. 
I would like collect to to know. I would like a book on collect, please. I'm wondering if he 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 is also still in this like I used to be I used to be good with words for one. I used to like like he he was honorable. He was good. He did want to save people, and he feels guilt for not being able to like do. I guess what he has set out to do, and he's let people down. But that gives me hope that we because what we've seen of Collect so far, we're not impressed. He he he. It doesn't seem like super honorable. He seems like a a wimp, I right. guess. Um, he, and, yeah. he tells. He tells Adolin his only hope is to get off Roshar, and that's yes. Collect's goal as well. Uh huh. And and so I I would really like to see some like way of restoring or or getting getting information back. I guess. Um, so yeah, I I now have more questions with Collect than I did before for sure. Yeah, he gets frustratingly close to dropping some bombs about the recreants or the heralds and doesn't quite do it, but gives us enough to to think on the hint at the end about Ba Edo Mishram is the most intriguing part for me. He He advocates for freeing that unmade, which for me brings up a lot of questions of which we kind of were diving into a little bit last episode was what exactly happened with the imprisonment of Ba'edo Mishram. Kalak is clearly hinting that it's more than what people think, right? Perhaps it's not just the imprisoning singers in dull form. Maybe it's more than that. Maybe it has affected all of the spren on all of Roshar, that sort of thing. But then it also gets into questions of like, well, where is Ba'edo Mishram? Right. Where, and, where on the physical realm is that gemstone that they have? Right. And then also like, what's the current state of Ba'edo Mishram? Because if you kind of go back to that discussion we were, we were just having of, okay, if, if the imprisonment of Ba'edo Mishram prevented singers from bonding with Spren, or perhaps like yeah any bonds with with spren like why do we have fused back right how do we have fused back is that possible has baido mishram already escaped has the imprisonment of baido mishram weakened somehow and that power has leaked out i, I yeah questions there yep all very good questions I don't have answers, sorry. What? I thought you knew everything, Trevor. Hey, there's only like 10 more chapters. No, there's more than that. There's <laughs> two, it's a bit. 18 more chapters in the book that I've read, and that's it. Wow. Nah, we know prologue I'm sure of all book of our five quite... reveals everything. <laughs> <laughs> I, exactly. I was about to say, well, you've read the prologue of book five, and I'm sure that answers every question we've ever had. Yeah, so. certainly that talks about Ba'edo Mishram on our yeah. What's I'm sure. dying uh, night? It's from her perspective. Yeah, that's the point of view. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
All right. Um, and then we didn't get have the time to do it the last episode, but Elliot, do you want to wrap up part four? Do you have a theme for part four? Yeah, yeah, I do. I do. Part four. Part four was a fun one. We we got into Sandra Lanch zone of of Rhythm of War. It definitely felt we came to came to some climaxes on on multiple storylines. The the Adolin one probably being the most memorable, but the Shalon one for sure as well, and Navani and Raboniel as at the same time. So yeah, some pretty cool stuff. Some very thinky stuff. It really kind of stretched our our brains, at least mine, in a lot of ways. I pulled together to try, to try and sum it up in a single word, or at least a single word for me of what I took away from part four. Again, was tough. Some of these have been tougher than than others. This was a tougher one. I had to settle with strength as my theme for part four, mainly tying into Maya and Adolin, Shalon and Vale, and Kaladin as well. The Maya Adolin one is 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 pretty obvious. The whole moment where Adolin kind of reaches out to Maya mentally and says, "You know, take my strength." And yeah. there's that moment where she, you know, speaks for the first time. We get that revelation, which was huge. And then afterwards, even one of the things that she says back to him is strength, strength before weakness. I don't remember if she says the whole thing, but She's, yeah, she, she at least, says strength before weakness. She at least gets out strength, which that whole storyline there and kind of the culmination of the Spren are a lot stronger than we think they are not just the the dead eyes but also the spread of the past who participated in the recreants by choosing to sacrifice themselves that's a strength before weakness moment that is really cool shalon had an awesome moment that we talked about quite a bit last episode where she realizes the strength within her and that her weakness is her strength she might feel crippled by the emotional trauma she's been through and the struggle she's at now with being able to accept the truth and who she is and all of that. But the revelation that Adolin kind of participates in, which is fantastic, of that weakness makes you strong is a really cool exploration of that radiant ideal of strength before weakness, which is fantastic. Then on the Kaladin side, I thought back to the dog and the dragon chapter, which is in part four here. And that moment of Kaladin in, it's not necessarily a moment of weakness, but it's a moment of attack. He is under serious mental and emotional attack from Odium, from, what's his name that I'm blanking on? Thank you, Moash. And Wit appearing in that moment with that awesome, awesome scene where he shows up and shelters him from that storm feeds him some soup and says, you can do this. You can do this. That strength moment there. Super cool. What I'm sad about is that I can't quite fit Navani into this, which I'm, I'm actually upset about that because she had such a, a key part in this, this part four. So to leave her out is, is really unfair. And I, I think you can kind of tie in maybe some strength elements to her, of her mental strength of continuing on under the oppression, but I don't know. I couldn't quite equate it in the same way as the others. I, I would tack on to that, actually. I, I, I think we see Navani's strength through independence in this. Hmm. Of um, Not that she wasn't independent before, but 
that there's so many trials going on that she's always had so many people around her to help with and to to fight with or to like research with and she's kind of been on an island here for a while and and she's done incredible things and so i think there's a lot of strength in that um in what she's done there yeah she's been isolated from her scholars now for at least a full part and it'd be really easy to just roll over and surrender and she doesn't she keeps working for the war effort as best she knows how so and not only is it like a Oh, it's it's it almost feels like a diamond moment. Like she's been put under such severe pressure that it's like created a diamond that I don't know if we would have seen otherwise, you know. But I mean, maybe we would have. But it feels like she's felt like a feigned or like a an, has imposter syndrome about being a scholar or researcher. And then here in this, she's made strides that. Um, no one else is really able to make right now or no one has made right now um, under all this pressure without her like support system. Yeah. I love that. That's fantastic. That's the, the piece I was missing to my, my little puzzle. So yeah. Strength for part four. Sounds good. Interludes uh, back to your two words, Paul. Oh, we're on two words. Oh my goodness! Um, what were my words? Um, um, oh, direction and rejection. <laughs> uh, my my two words. So, direction um, is. I was trying to th- come up with the right word for this. So, whenever we talk about Dalinar, our our brief Dalinar chapter, um, he's going to find Ishar, um, our herald of the. Bondsmiths. I don't know why the last like half a year <laughs> I've been like blanking on Bondsmith. I keep thinking of Dawn Shard in my head. Um but our, our Bondsmith Herald and I feel like he has a, a, a newfound direction with this. I, I I bounce with words like epiphany, discovery, stuff like that. Um but I, I kind of settled on direction. Um, for my other word, rejection is talking about Hoyt, and I'm gonna remain a little bit quiet until we get to that chapter okay. about it. Um, but you know, yeah, it's it's in reference to Hoyt and uh, things that have maybe been rejected in his life, which I'm incredibly excited to talk about. So we'll get there when we get there, Elliot. I'll I'll be more direct with my thoughts about Hoyd in saying that I thought that chapter was incredibly awkward. <laughs> that that was my word for that uh, that chapter. That's and fair. Paul, Paul, I bet I know been... exactly why. <laughs> I think probably, I know exactly why. You probably can. You probably can guess here. I, Paul, you've been accused of shying away from some of the the romance or the the you know kissing scenes in the book or <laughs> largely between like Dalinar and Navani kind of stuff which I, I hadn't nearly had that reaction in the the past to some of those coming into this one that is exactly where I was at with these two is like oh man I I do not need to see an intimate moment between these two characters right now nope I full past <laughs> 
moving on. Let let's go. It, I don't know the way the way the scene played out just seemed very awkward and strange. And when you start to examine like the motives of our two characters, and yeah, it got weird yeah. fast. I think I think the most awkward part for me was them talking like talking about the motivations behind right. it, and I didn't I wasn't a fan of that. What what I really liked about this chapter was learning about some more about Hoyt's backstory and yes. things, um, and that's what I'm excited to talk about. But the rest, yeah, I I, I was like, <laughs> <"Ee."> <laughs> uh, um, and yeah, <laughs> I I realized how for almost four entire books into this world I am I've 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 immersed myself into it enough that when the book says and her exposed safe hand on the table and I like cringe a little bit <laughs> and, you know it's like that's funny. I, I catch myself I'm like wait no, not her just, safe hand just, just right exactly I have that moment of <gasps> and the, oh yeah okay it, anyway yeah that's funny. um my second word my second word is inspiration which i did pick fairly straightforward again on this one for kaladin and the discussion about him in interlude 10 which was by far my favorite of this set but the the takeaway of that chapter of you know the these people who are writing the shash brand on their foreheads are are not doing it because they're trying to rebel against their oppressor necessarily they're doing it because it's what gets them out of bed in the morning yeah they're doing it because it reminds them of kaladin and kaladin is their reason for living at this point which was pretty cool so inspiration there yeah i'll just jump right into that interlude 10 off of that because they're where was what did i hear this Oh, um, minor rings of power spoilers, by the way, um, <laughs> that that's where I heard this from. So married couples in fantasy depicting married couples in fantasy is actually fairly rare. I think that you find a, a, like a, a healthy married relationship between like two, not main characters, but you know, anyway depicting There's a usually no de yeah. depicting a healthy re marriage relationship in in fantasy is rare decent enduring is where i'm going with that i think <laughs> the rings of power has done a excellent job with those two characters and then going into these two characters hasina and Liren are having a very valid disagreement and there's very there's very real tension in this in this interlude but Hasina makes the point to make clear to Liren that she she starts the discussion with I love you and I don't don't ever question that for a second but you need to see this how everyone else is seeing this and I I need you to do me a favor and try a bit harder and hear everyone else's perspective on this. And I think that is a really great way to portray that relationship of a married couple having a disagreement. And I think that's really cool. Yeah. I, I, I do like that point a lot, Trevor. I, I do want to add one thing to the, 
I feel like in fantasy, it's not necessarily that quote healthy relationships aren't portrayed or healthy marriages aren't portrayed, but we never like really see it. It's like right. you see a married right. couple and you just assume all is well. You know, you don't really like see these hard conversations. Um, and I did think it was really cool. I'm a he. I'm a big Lord of the Rings fan, and I've enjoyed the Rings of Power too. So if you're watching and you're watching that. Uh, Definitely let us know in our Discord or something because it's fun to talk about. But um, that that connection there is where we've just seen uh, like a really good amount of dialogue um, between a married couple, you know. And so uh, I agree with what you're saying with with Hasina and Liren, and I, I liked seeing this because we talked about it before that we've kind of been getting frustrated with Liren, um, or, or that there's been some cause for concern or like maybe a lack of understanding. Um, on his side, and so I, I'm happy to see some more, some more stuff with him. I completely agree. I thought this was a great chapter that explored some of the stuff that doesn't get explored all that often. Just like you guys are saying, and not only the marriage relationship side of it, but sort of the father to son struggle side of it as well which we we've seen some of that before and that's probably a, a more common theme to to see is you know like a father father son relationship sort of thing but here we see Liren actually dealing with something that we see Kaladin dealing with a lot of the time yeah. and it, it was kind of a light bulb moment for me where I was like oh I, I see where Kaladin gets this and that's the blame myself for everything yeah or at least the the terrible things that happen around me, taking that blame onto myself. Because we realize here in this chapter, as as we get into it, this this tough conversation, that Liren blames himself for what's happened to Kaladin, for what's happened to Tien was a big part of it. Yeah. And and it seems like we're we're starting to expose or at least get down to the roots of some of why he's doing what he's doing, which again plays into the what a fantastic conversation. If you remember back to the way of Kings in a Kaladin flashback chapter, Liren had the life of Rashon in his hands. He was doing surgery on Rashon and he had a leg artery right in front of him next to his surgery knife. He makes eye contact with Kaladin and then continues and continues working surgery and saves Rashon's life. Jump forward a couple years, Rashon is directly responsible for Tien enlisting in the army. And so now, however many years removed from that, Liren still holds that over his own head of I'm responsible for ticking off Rashon. I'm responsible for Tien's death. That's the that is the conclusion that he comes to. And we know that Kaladin has blamed himself for Tien's death for years and years, and that's part of some of his ideals, is my brother's death is on my hands and stuff like that. So to, to equate that, that same trauma between father and son is actually, I think, fairly important in this interlude because it's really... It's become pretty hard to draw similarities between Kaladin and Liren, but to know that they both hold that same burden is is telling. 
And I, I loved where it ended with Asina pushing Liren to go discover, hey, these people who you are really upset with, who are painting the, the brand on their foreheads in, in an act of what you just see as defiance of the enemy, go talk to them. Go talk to them and ask them why they're doing this. And then the answer he gets back is what I just mentioned with my one of my two words, inspiration, which I thought was was great. It's it's not about purely being rebellious, which I think is kind of what Liren is has a problem with. Is right. stop rocking the boat, just chill. We've been defeated. Stop making this worse. That's not what it's about, and that's not what Kaladin is about either. Kaladin is trying to fight to save everyone. And that simple act of trying to make a difference is what allows these people to go on with their life. It, it is what gets them out of bed in the day, at the beginning of every day. And I don't know that we necessarily in this chapter quite see how Liren reacts to that, but it, I can I can imagine the look on his face of a maybe not quite a you know epiphany moment, but at least a okay. That's not what I thought you were going to say. Right. It it does seem to, if not finally, then partially click for for Liren and Hasina and Hasina having the strength to provide that for Liren. I I love Hasina as a character. We do not get that many that much of her on screen, but for for the position that she is in, especially in Rhythm of War to have two people that you love, two family members that you love and to be able to equally support them while they to, to equally support them both while they are, you know, headbutting directly against each other is really a hard situation to be in and Hasina I think is such a well-written character that she successfully does that and is able to show Liren the quote is what a, a wonderful son we have in Kaladin and that yes he is a killer but who would you rather have do the killing a, a mindless monster or the son that you taught to care I think is a really great line I agree 100% This also feeds right into Interlude Eleven. I didn't get that much out of Interlude Eleven. It's some random. So here's your here's your random uh, random <laughs> character Interlude. Unfortunately, he's in, he's he's right down the hall. He's, he's, he's down the hallway. Characters. Exactly. He's yes, exactly down the hall from Hasina and Liren. But it's this young boy, all starstruck with you know Captain Kaladin, the the you know the the bridgeman who became the soldier. He's he's the the, the young fantasy reader of trying to live up to Kaladin Stormblessed and Spren don't pick based on eye color and I too can be a, a radiant at one day. I, I really do enjoy this interlude simply because it's nice to see Kaladin f from other people's perspectives. And I, I really do enjoy the perception of Kaladin from another point of view besides in his own head. 
Yeah, I, I loved this a lot. Just the sentiment. I mean, I, I feel like there wasn't all too much to gain from this. There were some neat things. But it, it was nice to like take a little step back, have a glimpse at like a, a childlike perspective of someone who's just in awe of a hero. Right? Yeah. Um, and I think that was really cool. My joking prediction is, oh my goodness, is this our uh, interlude to hint at Era 2 of Stormlight? Where I, that's, um, I think that's a genuine question, but keep going. I don't know enough. About, I, I, I have a, a base understanding of what our different like eras 1 and 2s of our different stories are like. Um, but I don't know. So so I'm like, yeah, I, that could be legitimate if we want to, but I don't know how, how much weight it would carry. Anyways, I think that'd be kind of fun if it's like, oh yeah, the old heroes of old Kaladin Stormblast, you know, and everything. I could very much see something like that happening. Right. Um, but I, I thought it was neat. I, I like. I always like... I think this is some of the similar logic why I really liked the, the dog and the dragon. Um was it's almost like a home style uh story element a sweet child is like i can't wait to grow up and get my sprint and like look at these heroes and all the things they do and just kind of like in awe of the heroism and the like i guess you could say chivalry with it um I think is really neat and a neat little element to add to our story. It kind of humanizes a lot of the people that are in our, um, in our storyline here. I, I would be able to, or I would be willing to put money on the Aiden as a character in Stormlight 2 or Stormlight Era 2. I would, I'm fairly confident actually. That I, that's I, the that type, would be cool. That's the type of thing that Brandon Sanderson would do is he would name drop somebody just random, and then he revisits the character in, after a time skip, and is like, "Now, if you go back and read early Stormlight, he was actually exactly. in early Stormlight. You just yeah, gotta go find him back in back in book four, right? Exactly. You know, yeah. That's exactly. exactly the type of thing that he would do. I'm starting to think like a rereader. I feel like I, I feel like I'm starting to gain that. Anything else for these two interludes before we go into a very different interlude? All right. Teravangian. Yet another rambling, not smart day Teravangian musing about, oh, I need I need Zeth and Odium in the same room at the same time. How do I do that? And then Jean Not shows up. What did you guys think of this interlude? For for our audio only people, I'm just shrugging over here. I it's not that I didn't like this interlude. I just didn't really take anything new away from it, which was sad because Shaw not shows up and and talks to Teravangian. But I, I don't know. I guess there's there's a bit of perhaps important info coming out of the end of this. But overall, I was just kind of like, eh, dumb Teravangian. Moving on. The couple of lore dumps we get, I guess, are Odium is attracted to corrupted Spren, apparently, and she will gift Teravangian corrupted Spren to attract Odium. That's that's the only thing we get, really. And that was my one takeaway. I, I feel like the cares about corrupted Spren, I feel like we knew that already, or at least... 
we know there's a there's people out there who are interested in the corrupted sprint. So to hear that Odium is didn't feel like news. The bit the bit that does seem you know perhaps important that we should jot down for later is the Shaw not is going to give Teravangian some of these spren. The intent being that he can use them to draw Odium's attention if he wants to. Right. So, I guess. If Teravangian does want to try and throw a Hail Mary and, oh, look, Zeth is in the room with Nightblood, quick, summon Odium. He can bust out these corrupted Spren and somehow summon Odium? Yeah. Maybe? I don't know. The... Yeah, the, the logic of this is my current question. I think leaving this interlude of... Teravangian knows what what to do, but it still just doesn't feel like if it if everything worked out, I still don't feel like it would work out. Like I, I don't know if getting Odium right there would like do anything. Don't we still need this whole contest of champions thing to work out and right everything for him to actually be kind of like locked in as a part of it? And it's like Odium could just poof in and poof out, kind of thing. And Jean Anat warns him that Odium's customary, like, withheld, withholding of power that he has with mortals will not be there because of Teravangian's connection to Odium. Because Teravangian has, like, had made deals with Odium. And so now contacting Odium, he will be that protection that he has, that, or that many on this world have is no longer there is what she says. Oh, okay. Like that makes sense. I I think I missed that while reading this. There's there's rules with shards of like you can't just go around eating people. You have to stay in your spiritual realm for the most part. You can talk to to mortals, but you can't you're not allowed to eat them, touch them, whatever. But once you create a connection with, with a, with a shard, with a vessel, then that is removed and you can do what you want. So she's warning him that you've already created that. If you are in the same room as Odium, he can kill you. Wit starts to talk about some of this too, in the chapter we're about to get to of starting to kind of define some of the rules. Like right. he's, he talks about, you know, here are the rules that Odium has to live by. And I'm, I'm quite curious about that. Cause I'm, I'm kind of asking the question of, you know, why, like what defines those, those rules? What are, what are the bounds that he's, you know, has to, has to live within. But yeah, this, I didn't actually quite pick up on that, that connection bit there. So that's, that's helpful info with Teravangian. Right. Anything more for the interludes before we jump into part five? All right. So chapter 98, we kick off with... Actually, let's acknowledge the elephant in the room right off the bat instead of waiting till five episodes later. Our epigraphs. Did you guys catch our epigraph? Yeah, I'm sure I thought a lot about it at the time, but now I'm thinking no, because <laughs> because well, you're asking. Well, I guess the, the footnote on the epigraph is more important than the epigraph itself. 
So the epigraph says, I look forward to ruling the humans. And who is it by, Elliot? Musings of L. There's more. And, oh, yeah. Musings of L on the first of the final 10 days. Yes. Okay. So we have asked who is L before. Do you remember yeah. in what context? I was trying to remember this because I did recognize the name and I remembered it popping up fairly randomly. And it was one of those you write down who is L and then you move on. I don't remember the context that it came up in. Let me find it. Uh, it is it's... the epigraph to chapter 60. Chapter epigraph to chapter 60 is who is this person? You used no title, so I assume they are not effused. Who, then, is L? And L is mentioned maybe two epigraphs previous to that? I don't know. It is, it's in the letter that we get. L, L is mentioned by name in the letter that we get earlier in Rhythm of War. So, you can theorize and brew on that one. Um... It's obviously Alokar, who is just playing 3D chess from the start of the story. He isn't dead, and he's coming back to to rule over <laughs> Roshar. You're welcome. Thank you. All right. All right, all. and that'll be all for our podcast today, guys. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. <laughs> now that we've spoiled it. <laughs> all right. The end of Stormlight 5. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, Dalinar is walking through the Amuli battlefield and he's talking with the mink and the mink is basically saying we've won. We have, there's going to be a couple minor more skirmishes to go, but this was the last one. Amuli is ours. And so then they're, they're talking about what's next. And the mink is saying, yeah, remember your promise. We got to go free Herdaz after we free Alethkar. And then Dalinar says, well, yes, but you're a Thiru before both. Our, our now, now our main topic is shifting back to your Thiru. We got to go win back your Thiru. Uh, and so that's where the army is headed now that Imuli is taken. But first, we have to go visit Ishar. Ishar is the next tourist attraction on the list. And Dalinar has sent scouts to go find Ishar and they they paint a little glyph of mystery. Ishar paints a little glyph of mystery towards his scouts and he he's basically asking what do you want? What do you guys think of this this chapter? So, this is my uh, this was, I mean, one of my words was titled discovery. No, not discovery. Direction. I mentioned that discovery was a, th a word I thought about using. Uh, maybe I should have used Discovery after all. Um, uh, this has me super excited. This has me really, really hopeful, really excited that that's what we're going to see in part five is we're going to get to meet with Ashar and maybe get some of the... <laughs> I feel like almost a hopeless romantic at this point. Every time we mention a Herald, talk about a Herald, think of a Herald, I'm like, oh my goodness, we're going to get so many answers. We're going to get all this fun stuff. And then they're either psychotic or a bad guy. Like, I don't know. <laughs> um, 
and so I, I don't know what to think anymore. But uh, this feels really promising, and I cannot wait to see, hopefully, da- dialogue between Dalinar and Ishar, and also just learn about our bondsmiths, because there's we, we know that there is so much potential with bondsmiths that has not been unlocked yet. Uh, that has not been realized, and I'm so excited for what all that could mean. I'm in the same boat. I really want to learn about Bondsmiths. I want to learn more about connection and how they can manipulate it. I want to learn I want to learn about why Odium is afraid of the Bondsmith. That that's been brought up a couple of times is Odium fears the bondsmith or the bondsmith holds the power, you know, that kind of stuff. So I'm, I'm with you, Paul. I hope Ishar has answers for us. I've been burned before. So <laughs> that's I'm, true. It would not I'm be not, our first time. Right. So I'm not super confident and I'm sure he's going to be crazy somehow, but I don't know. Maybe we do get a fireside chat with the two of them and he gives us a good history lesson and we learn a bunch. Maybe. I thought we might get that with Kalak initially because he seemed to have his wits about him, mm-hmm. but then he was just kind of, kind of a jerk, kind of a coward. So I still have hope. I still have faith in Ishar. As a bondsmith, I feel like that would be the like the one I would expect to be the most honorable, if you will. You know. So, but in the case of our heralds, maybe that means he's the worst. So yeah, we'll it's possible. See. Quit. Quick prediction on a scale of one to ten: How sane is the shark? Before we get there, hard how to... sane. Do we Go have ahead, any Paul. ten out of ten sane characters in our story? Like, what's our bar here? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like Adolin, our sane character, right? Ten out of ten would be you know, Kaladin, Adolin, whoever, but. You know, one out of ten is Talon, unfortunately. Talon can, yeah. can say more than <laughs> one line of dialogue. Um, I'm guessing an eight. I'm hoping for... I, I would like to see at least an eight. I, like, my hope, my true hope is for, like, a ten. Like, this man, like, has, still has it together. Like, obviously, he's burdened by a lot. But, like, he can... He, he knows how to process through things and stuff. That's my hope. But I don't think we'll get a ten. My prediction is either an 8 or a 2, depending on how you think about it. I think we're going to get another nail, where he's perfectly lucid, he's very logical, he knows what's going on, he's very intentional about what he's doing and what he's thinking, he's going to speak wisdom, but something like small is broken that changes everything. Right. Yeah, like the the rules of which he's playing by aren't right kind of thing. That's a really good guess. He's going to be 8 out of 10... But the the two that he's missing is going to be really really important, right? Like yeah. that's like that's kind of what nail is in my mind is he's he's almost all the way there, but yet absolutely not at the same time. Yeah, those are good guesses. All right, time for an awkward chapter. Um, Paul, should I throw it back to you for your word that you've been KG on? I I would like to I would like to yeah I'm I'm gonna skip over our awkward part I don't know if anyone needs any more info um Shalon and sorry no not Shalon Yasna and Hoyd are dating and um she still calls him Whit by the way like yes 
His his name is Wit to her. She she doesn't call him Hoy. She doesn't call him anything else. Which I have a brief thought about that. Which which we'll talk about. I'll talk about some here in a second. But so I would actually be curious. I don't know if it's worth reading. But so my favorite part about this chapter and what I really want to talk about is. It talks some about Hoyd's past. So we've seen mentions before. If you even think back to like the Emperor's Soul um, and things like that, it talks about like description of Hoyd and particularly his eyes. Like whenever you look at his eyes, you can just see like a timeless aged, being. Yeah. Yes, like age and time and like like things like that. And so we know Hoyd doesn't fit into our rules. We. Early predictions were like, is he a herald? Like, what is what is going on here? We know he is way beyond. He's almost like a Tom Bombadil, if you've <laughs> read Lord of the Rings. Like, it's yeah. like he doesn't fit into any of our narratives. He's just been here forever. The things we know about him are he's where he needs to be when he needs to be there. Yep. He doesn't always know why. He's just there and it's like, all right, let's figure this out kind of thing. Uh, we learned at the end of Oathbringer that there's like a whole narrative for Hoyd throughout our books in the Cosmere. Um, yep. Which is is crazy. But so when we see him here, I don't remember if Yasna is actually explaining this or if Hoyd is, but it, it basically gives illusion that Hoyd was like with the shards of adenalsium this is how i understood it i could be totally wrong not necessarily with the shards of adenalsium but was like extended power like a shard um and then refused that power that's how i was understanding it and that's why i said rejection as my word yeah um in that he was offered like um cultivation let's say like like offered power as if cultivation was you know i don't know what his thing would be which i thought wit was a funny one what if that was like his thing was wit like cleverness or uh-huh. things like that um but then like refused that um and so because he's refused that it says he's given been given or not necessarily he's been given freedom but that he still has freedom uh with not being a shard and as far as I understand, that is why he is working to fix this situation, uh, fight back against Odium, like restore the shards, because there was the shattering of Adenalsium. Um, but yeah, there's kind of a lot of pieces here, and and I'm gonna pass it off to to whoever, whichever y'all would like to hop in. But um, but there were just a lot of things that really had my head spinning through this but my understanding and what i want to ask one if if that was what you thought or if that's right um into what you thought as well of i i took this as hoid was extended the power of a shard but refused it elliot i'll let you respond before i do i don't have too much to add there I took it the same same way as kind of what he's hinting at. The only other explanation I could think of is that perhaps he was referring to heralds instead of shards, and that we've kind of started to explore, you know, what are our heralds? Are they spren? Are they something different? I was kind of wondering if Hoyd was was putting himself in that bucket, 
But when he talks about rays, when he talks about odium, it seems like he's talking about, you know, vessel for a shard sort of discussion. So I'm, I got to the same place that, that you did Paul there of, of thinking that's what he's talking about. Yeah. And I did spoil, explain whatever verb you want to use there. Some of this for you in Cosmere 101, but yes, Hoyd was there, was present at the shattering at Anulsium and was offered a shard or was offered maybe multiple shards, maybe one shard, and he refused it. Um, and has since been... I don't know if this is canonical or not, or if this is just in my head, but I think the Shattering Vat on Alcium, everybody who was... All of the original vessels who were there immediately got fortune whether you picked up a shard or not. Uh, capital F fortune. This is That's the in the right place at the right time thing that you were talking about, Paul. And then shattered into 16 pieces and um, you you can pick up a shard of uh, Adonalsium, you know, honor, cultivation, odium, whatever. Um, but you cannot get fortune unless you were unless you were one of the original vessels. So some vessels at this point are not original vessels and therefore do not have fortune. But if you were there, you have you, you have, were gifted fortune. That is my interpretation of it. I'm not sure if that is canonical or not. I'm not sure where I learned that or if I just made that up on the spot. Um, so that is. Yes, Wit was there. He got fortune from there and um, de declined a specific shard. Do you associate fortune with the seeing the future ability? Yes. Okay. Because I... I guess I, I hadn't... Well, we've kind of talked about this before. Wit does kind of do that sort of right he he knows where he's supposed to be for events that are happening in the future but it doesn't seem nearly on the level of odium right o odium seems or, or rays maybe that's a better term here seems to very seems to have a very fleshed out view of the future and and we dive into you know he doesn't know exactly what's going to happen he knows possibilities and there are things like Renarin, which throw wrenches into ability to see the future. But I, I guess up until now, I hadn't really put wit in the same category as that. See, or maybe it's a different level right. of fortune or something like that. And I think this chapter is supposed to knock at that a little bit. I think that is what Odium wants everyone to believe, is that he sees... The whole future, except for, you know, maybe Renarn over here, maybe Hoyt over there. Right. right? There's a couple exceptions, but I see the whole thing. Just don't worry about it. I see the whole thing. You're going to lose. I don't think that's actually the case. I I think you are meant to believe that. I think Odium would love everyone to believe that. But w what Wit is trying to say here is that there's, there's caveats to that, and I'm not sure he'd actually 
knows what's in the future. Okay. Okay. I follow that. And, and all of that becomes a part of the discussion that Yasna and, and Wit have in this chapter, which is the whole rigging the game discussion, right? The whole odium. And back to what you were just saying, odium at least wants everyone to think that he has rigged the game and there's only one outcome. And in some sense he can a little, but what wit is basically, basically suggesting is that, Hey, he can influence things in the future. He can rig the game, but so can we, right. And maybe not in the same way. And maybe we can't directly change what he sets up as his, scenarios but we can set other scenarios to counter that we can we can reach a draw that's his proposal is we can reach a draw we may not be able to beat him because he can rig the game but if he rigs it and we rig it maybe we both don't lose right yeah he has a line that says he he wants everybody to think he has all of these grand plans and these grand options. But as far as I know, he was fairly all in on Dalinar as my champion. And now that Dalinar is no longer my champion, he is now scrambling for a second option, somebody who can successfully be his champion now that he has agreed to the duel. And Dalinar declined being his champion, that he's now scrambling. Is, is what Wit thinks. And this is where we get into the whole rules discussion, which got me a little bit confused. Wit seems to, is talking like these, all these contracts yeah. bind Odium to these very specific set of rules. They're, they're still going on and on about the, the, um, the showdown, the confrontation, Contest the challenge. Thank you. The contest of champions that were everybody's kind of hanging their hat on this contest of champions. I, I'm still a little bit stuck on the whole. Just because Odium said he would do that, why is he bound to that? Right. It it seems like you know when someone as knowledgeable as Wit is talking about, okay, we've got him in this you know contract. This is our chance. I'm inclined to believe him. He seems to Wit. Wit knows a lot. But a small little voice in the back of my head is still kind of chiming in, like, "Why? Why? What are the what are the rules here?" And then it it even takes a even takes another weird turn when at the very end of this chapter, Wit talks about, "Oh, and uh, write me into the contract so that I'm protected." <laughs> yeah, and. Wit, Wit has talked about this before, that he doesn't want to expose himself or Raze will take direct action against him. He talked and about that in The Dog and the me. Dragon, I think. He was he was invading Odium's vision to help Kaladin, and then he's like, I can't stay here too long or else I'll be exposed, is the word he used. I think it's come up in, in epigraphs before as well of the whole, and Raze can't know I'm here. Right. sort of stuff. But then here in the very end of this chapter, he says, oh, and write me in that I'll be the official liaison of honor. That way I can start to act in plain view. 
I can then join your side formally and raise can't take direction act, direct action against me. Again, sort of leveraging this whole, if it's part of a formal contract, Odium can't break it. But it's still kind of fuzzy on the details. Yeah, I don't have any details for you. Sorry. This has me really intrigued and honestly really excited because I didn't think we would get this here. I, this was not what I was expecting um, is to, to get a glimpse at large scale, big picture Hoid um, in this, but it has my mind kind of racing with, you know, like what if, what if he becomes like a new vessel for Tanavest or something. I don't know if that's possible, but and I don't that doesn't feel like it'd work. But what I have learned about all of our heralds and other characters on that caliber they're not really who I expect. So um they could be. But I, I I'm really curious to see. I, I I'm very excited to read forward. We're not done with this episode yet, I'm sure, but uh I, I'm looking forward to I don't know if we're going to get any more info on this. I feel like this was one of the things that Brandon Sanderson throws in is like, oh, here's a little nugget, like the dark sphere kind of uh -huh. thing. And I'll have to wait a lot longer still. But I, I was really excited when I read this. Speaking of grand planned Hoyd, something that I remembered that's fairly humorous to me when they're talking about the, the contract, writing up the, the, the rules of the contest of champions. He's like, all right, so if he wins, he can do whatever he wants with Roshar, but he has to stay in the system. And if he loses, he retreats back to Braze for a thousand years, or something like that. Because that solves your problems and it doesn't really he doesn't really care, so he will sign this. And then Yasna's like, Well, well, wait a minute. Like he can do whatever he wants with Roshar. I'm sure that solves your problems, but that doesn't solve my problems. <laughs> like, hold on. Yeah. Like, so Wit's here to, you know, make sure the genie stays in the bottle. The, what we talked about in episode, um, in the Cosmere 101, that the the 17th Shard, um, who we've got a couple mentions of, the off-world organization who makes sure everybody's in their place, yeah. refuses to help Roshar because Odium's in his bottle. Don't let Odium out of his bottle, and we won't worry about him. And so Wit's like, so we, we got to put this in the contract here if he has to stay on Roshar. And Yasna is saying, well, all I know is Roshar. That doesn't help me. That was a, that was a good reminder for me that Wit is not Gandalf. He's yeah. not here to save these people. He's got a larger agenda that he's working towards. He's if you want to put a good spin on it, he's here to save the universe. He, right. He's willing to, you know, maybe sacrifice Roshar to save the rest of the universe to put maybe a negative spin on it. He maybe doesn't care what happens to Roshar. And he really just is here to achieve his objective, which is contain odium. So it, I don't know. He definitely came off as a little callous in this episode, episode chapter in this chapter. A little bit, yeah. I do think Hoyt is that funny character where 90% of his his lines are like, 
you know, endearing and helpful and in this in line with our heroes, and then he'll just drop a one-liner, and you're like, "What did you say?" <laughs> like that's yep. that's not helpful. That's even frightening of what you just said. Anything else for ninety-nine or this whole episode, gentlemen? As usual, I'm excited to read more home stretch. I feel like the the finish line is getting rapidly closer. We've only got, oh, Trevor, you probably know this, four episodes or something like four that. Four episodes to go. So, Oof. well, like I said last week, for ninety nine ninety percent of this podcast, I have looked at chapter summaries and looked at like the actual content of the chapters to create you know coherent episodes i have not done that for the final four episodes of this uh, of rhythm of war so if we break at a really inconvenient time next week or the week after or whatever i deeply apologize i did not to to anyone who's like reading along with us to you two i i'm very sorry if that happens but i kind of just broke it at word count instead of character arc so whatever happens happens the next next four episodes oh we're definitely blaming you we're coming after you with torches yes and of course that happens. yes mm-hmm. we will burn your house to the ground this I is know, not a threat for legal reasons <laughs> <laughs> all right thank you for joining me paul and elliot let's really push into the content of part five part five onward Bow.